Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 4 is where we are today. John chapter 4, we're starting a new series that is entitled, Living as a Passionate Lifelong Follower of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Here's the key concept this morning. A passionate follower of Jesus engages in God-exalting worship. John chapter 4, while you're finding that, let me share where we're coming from in this series. We have a mission statement here at Quail Lakes Baptist Church. And that mission statement is that we exist to win and build passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. That's our phrase for what the Bible calls being a disciple of Christ. We just want to make sure we all understand what that means. It's not something we do for a short time. It's not just something we decide on once in a while and then kind of leave it behind. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a passion lifelong to follow Christ as our Savior and Lord. In this series, we're going to explore some of the qualities that are found in the life of someone who's doing that. Today, we're talking about worship. Later on down the, down, down the way, we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about wisdom, living the wise life. We're going to talk about witness. A passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ shares the faith that they have, and we're going to talk about warm-heartedness. A passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus ought to be the kind of person that you like to be with, warm-hearted and kind, because they're being changed by Jesus from the inside out. There is no spiritual gift of grumpiness. If you think you have it, you don't, all right? Warm-heartedness, we're going to get there. But today we're talking about worship, and we're going to start by looking at what happens in John chapter 4. We're going to jump into the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with the woman at the well. I want you to understand that in John chapter 4, Jesus is doing something shocking. He is pausing at a town in the Samaritan area, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman. What's shocking about that is that the Jews did not get along with the Samaritans. They looked down at the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a remnant race left over from the days of the divided kingdom. You think back to the Old Testament, you'll know that there was a portion in history where the northern kingdom was called Samaria and the southern kingdom was called Judah when the nation of Israel was divided. So even though the, 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 their cousins, they're not kissing cousins. They really don't get along. And the, the reason is because the Samaritans 
had widely intermarried, uh, wildly intermarried with other ethnic groups. What happened in 721 BC was the Assyrians invaded the north and they, ca- they captured whole segments of the population of Samaria and carried them off into captivity. But what they did next was they moved other ethnic groups into that area. And over the hundreds of years that have transpired between 721 B.C. and Jesus here in the first century, they had intermarried widely. See, that was the way that Assyria kind of wiped out the ethnic groups that they conquered. They didn't want them to band together again, so they moved them around and, and intermingled them. And so when the Jews think of the Samaritans, they, they, they see an ethnic divide between the Jew and the Samaritans. But more than that, there's also a religious divide. Because the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of your Bible. That's the only scripture they would accept, the books of Moses. And the Samaritans rejected the fact that, uh, as the Jews taught that they should go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship, Samaritans taught that Joshua actually wanted the temple to be on Mount Gerizim in the north. And so there was a religious divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. And these things are big deals. They really made a difference in the way that they treated one another. There was great animosity between these two groups. But Jesus, as usual, is about breaking down barriers. Jesus is about pushing through divides. It's about bringing people together, no matter who they are or what group they come from. And so Jesus stops in this Samaritan town, speaks to this Samaritan woman. Let's break into the conversation starting in verse 19. The woman is speaking. And she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, speaking about Gerizim. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. As expected, the Samaritan woman brings up the controversy about the temple and where we should worship. And as expected, Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. He says, it's not really about the place. It's about what's going on inside of you. True worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. To worship means to attribute worth. And for the Christian, when we worship, we are attributing worth to the one true God, raising Him up as ultimately worthy. And I want you to see the important statement that Jesus makes in verse 23. He says, God is seeking worshipers. That's the kind of worshipers that God is seeking. This is the business that God is in. Turning sinners into worshipers. That's what he wants to accomplish. And that's not to be taken lightly. 
God is in the business of turning sinners into worshipers because he, know, he knows that worship is hardwired into us. Praise is hardwired into us. And He wants us to worship what is ultimately worthy. And that is Himself. Praise is hardwired into us. You will spontaneously praise the thing that you value. Not only will you spontaneously praise the thing that you value, you will uh, urge others to spontaneously praise what you value. You've probably been a part of the conversation, but when something like this, wow, did you see that game last night? Wasn't our team great? Spontaneously praising. Or maybe you're walking in the evening and somebody says, wow, look at that sunset. And you look up and you go, oh yeah, nice. No, 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 you're not looking. Really, look, look at that sunset. You're going to urge others to praise the thing that you see as worthy because that's hardwired into us. And God knows that. He wants true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? It means that worship is not something that you just do on the outside. It means that worship is not just being at the right place at the right time or going through the right motions. It's not about that. It means worship engages the inner person. It connects to the spiritual part of us, the, the, the inner person, the real, the real person the, at the core of who we are. And it affects our emotions. It touches us and where we feel passion. You see, truth without passion can just devolve into dead orthodoxy, going through the right motions, saying the right words, but not connecting to it at all. That's not what God means when He says worship. And passion without truth can lead us astray, going to all kinds of wrong areas of thought and practice. That's not what God means when He says worship. But He says worship, He means in truth, the reality of what we know about God from His Word, connected to our inner soul with a sense of passion. You combine these two things and you have an experience that's sincere and honest and growing in understanding. It completely engages who we are. That's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be worshipers of the one true God. So my question as we grow as passionate, lifelong followers of Christ is, how do we get better at that? How do we do that better? Let's talk about right here, what we do on Sunday morning. This is worship. How do we do it better? Well, I think we will do it better if we connect in our mind what we do here on Sunday morning in our worship service with another very important Baptist tradition closely held to our heart, the potluck supper. <laughs> if we think of this a little like we think of a potluck supper, we'd be better at this. I love potluck suppers. One of the reasons I love potluck suppers is it's the only place I get deviled eggs. I don't know why, but that's the only place they show up. I wish they weren't called deviled eggs, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, there they are. And I, I love potlucks. People bring their favorite dish, and we eat together and so forth. One of the dynamics of a potluck supper, however, is, is important to remember as we come to church, and that is this. A pot, when you come to a potluck supper, you come thinking about others. You bring a dish you'll share with others. 
Nobody goes to a potluck supper, has a little sack lunch, goes into the corner and eats all by themselves. If they do, they're missing the whole point of this. The point is to share and to bless others. Now, with that image in mind, listen to what the Hebrew author uh, says about church. It says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Boil it down, he's saying, when you meet together to worship God with other believers, you are ministering to them. You are spurring them on toward love and good deeds just by coming just by sitting next to the person next to you, by being visible, by being a part of this experience, you are spurring other people on. And it has a lot to do with just hanging in there and saying, I think this is important. Because it encourages me to know that I'm not alone in seeking the answers to how I'm supposed to live out this thing called faith, that you're in it with me. It's encouraging for me to realize that you love the Lord Jesus Christ just like I love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trying to live for Him. It's encouraging to me to see that you are willing to serve using your gifts that He's given you, no matter what area it is, so that you can accomplish the work that He has for you in mind. It's encouraging. We're here partly to minister to one another. The unfortunate thing is we often forget that. We all, as we come to church, we often forget this, this part of it slips our mind. It's pushed aside by a sense of, well, I want to get. I want to get stuff out of this. I want my needs to be met. I want my opinion to be agreed with. I want my views to be supported. I want my kids to be spiritually nurtured. I want it to be fun, and I want it to happen in an hour. <laughs> when that's the attitude, pretty soon we forget about encouraging one another. But in a potluck supper, you think about others. So think about others. Secondly, at a potluck supper, you need to prepare. You need to bring the dish already made, right? You do that at home, and you get it here hot and ready to go. Potluck supper. You prepare ahead of time. Let me tell you a true story about a guy named Tim. Tim uh, came to Christ in college. His parents had nothing to do with the things of the Lord, and so church was all new to Tim. he was part of our congregation back in Rochester, New York. He graduated college and was, was active, you know, came to church very regularly, follower of Jesus Christ. And we said, we're going we're to have a potluck supper. So Tim said, sure, I'll bring something. And he signed up for a main dish. Uh, fine, no problem. And so people were coming in that evening, uh, bringing in their dishes, put them on the table and all this kind of thing. And, and Tim had come to the potluck supper right from work. What he had done was he swung by Costco, picked up a frozen lasagna, and brought it right from Costco right to the potluck supper. Here you go. And the ladies in the kitchen are like, what are we going to do with this? It's like frozen solid brick of lasagna, right? And it's a lesson. A little preparation is needed. Well, it's the same lesson here at church. A little preparation is needed. How do we prepare? Three ideas let me shoot your way. Number one. Adopt worship as a discipline of your lifestyle. This is what we do. On Sundays, we go to church. This is the bottom rung. Adopt worship as a discipline in your lifestyle so that it will be clear that when we talk about doing stuff on Sunday, we always mean after church. You see, Satan's going to have all kinds of wedges in your life to keep you from doing that. Why? Because he knows that God wants to turn you into a worshiper. 
And he does not want that to happen in your life. And so all kinds of things come up. Things come up on Sunday morning that don't come up on any other mornings. Thoughts come in our mind on Sunday morning. We don't think about it the other mornings. We don't think like, well, this is my only day to sleep in. You know, I was busy all day Saturday, and I deserve to rest, and God understands that. We don't moan about how hard it is to get the kids up and out to school on on the weekday morning and and just kind of give up on that project. But on Sundays, boy, it's a real problem. Don't give Satan a foothold. Do you know what? Of the Ten Commandments, do you know what commandments, commandment God spends the most time on? The most words on explaining? It's not murder. It's not don't steal. It's not don't commit adultery. Those are covered in brief sentences. It is the fourth commandment where he encourages us to recognize that we have to have a day of rest and worship. By far the longest of the commandments. Because for God, creating worshipers is important. God wants you to be a worshiper. So, we prepare by making this a discipline. Secondly, we prepare our mind for worship. And you prepare your mind for worship on Sunday morning on Saturday night. That's how you prepare your mind. Here's the thing. I once was a teacher in a class, a high school Sunday morning class, high school students, and I was the teacher. Now, you're already you're saying, oh, those poor kids. I get it. But <laughs> I was the teacher. And here's what I noticed. The class started at 9 a.m., right? I know that most of these kids were at high school 7.30 in the morning, every morning throughout the week, and they were pretty much ready to go for the day, right? Sunday morning, 9 a.m., they were dragging their tired bones in to the class, barely conscious. I asked myself, what's going on here? And what was going on was they were staying up to the wee hours of the morning playing video games and watching TV Saturday night. You prepare your minds for Sunday morning on Saturday night. And something, I remember thinking to myself, you know, their parents don't let them do that on the weekdays because they value school. But somehow, on Saturday night, it's perfectly fine to stay up to the wee hours of the morning. And they were not ready to engage. You prepare your mind on Saturday night for Sunday morning. So parents, it means you need to get things ready. Lay out the kids' clothes if they're small. Plan what they're going to wear. Plan what you're going to eat. Just make it all smooth on Sunday morning so that you can avoid the pitfalls that Satan wants to throw in your way. Adults, it means getting in early on Saturday night. Spend some time thinking about what you're going to be studying in your Bible class on Sunday morning or here in worship what we'll be talking about. Preparing your mind to engage on Sunday morning. Thirdly, prepare your heart for worship, and that takes place all throughout the week to prepare your heart. Sometimes our worship is sluggish because we're carrying the weight of entertained sin into the sanctuary. Sometimes our worship is muted because we doubt that God is really answering prayers, or our worship is hesitant because we're not confident of our own spiritual growth. But all of these issues can be dealt with through the Word of God during the week. Ephesians 6.17 says that we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. By the word of God, temptation is killed. You prepare your heart by being in the word throughout the week and readying yourself. All of that is preparing. Like the potluck, you come prepared. What about at the service, at the the worship service itself? How do we really get better at what we're doing right here, right now, Sunday to Sunday? How do we get better at that? Number one, you'll get better if you participate fully in what we do. 
Don't think of yourself as a spectator. Think of yourself as a participant. You are not the audience of worship. You are part of the worshiping group. The audience of worship is God alone. He's the audience. So we are to participate together. What that means is sing when we sing, pray when we pray, take notes as you listen, look up the Bible verses, open your Bible, be a participant, sit in a place where you're not distracted so that you can fully participate. Secondly, perceive. Perceive the importance of others. Here's what I want you to know. Your friendliness matters. Your warmth matters. Your acceptance of the people around you matters. A gracious greeting to the person who sits like, who looks like they might be sitting alone. All of that matters. We would add to the spiritual growth of others if we would simply make a determination, I'm going to greet the people around me in a friendly way, with a warm smile. Let them know that I see them. True story, I had a woman come, come up to me in the foyer not too long ago. She gave me a hug and I hugged her back and she said this in my ear. I only get hugged at church. She lived alone, had no one with her. This was the place that she depended on for some kind of touch and warmth. Now, I know not everybody wants a hug. I get it. Some of you want the holy handshake. Some of you want the holy hand wave. Some of you want, you know, as much distance as possible, but whatever. Be friendly is the point. It really makes a difference. Everybody, even though they might not want a hug, they want to be valued and they want to be noticed, you can help them in their spiritual journey, each of us, by doing that. Well, what about our private worship? Worship is not just only what happens here. It's also it's what happens throughout the week. I had a professor who once said, what you're doing in church is you're rehearsing for what you're going to do all week long as you worship God in the way you live. Here's what Paul says in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, worship is a lifestyle dedicated to the Lord. Paul says, you've received mercy, and the reasonable response to the mercy that you received is dedication to the Lord and the way that you live. It's where you go. It's who you're with. It's what you do day after day all throughout the week. What we do here is a rehearsal for that. I want to live my life to demonstrate to God that I worship Him. I attribute worth to Him. I'm dedicated to Him. And that worship we do on Sunday morning sets the tone for carrying that out in the week. And and soon we'll notice that that changes who we are and the way we live. Paul goes on in verse 2 to say, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to give us a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at reality, a new sense of hope, new victory over the problems of life, a new power source when we face issues that, in which we struggle, a new sense of purpose. Why are we here? He wants to change all of that through transforming us, our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams, our priorities, and all of that changes. The way that we live begins to change. The logic is this. Life transformation comes from mind renewal. Mind renewal happens when we're completely dedicated to God. And all of this day-to-day -day is called worship, a lifestyle of attributing worth to God. And we do that 
in response to God's mercy. So worship happens here, but it also happens tomorrow when you wake up, when you're driving to work. It happens when you're doing the things that you're called upon to do during the day and you're remembering, as I live, something about who I am and what I'm doing should attribute worth to God. I want Him to know that I'm thinking about that, that I'm aware of that, that I'm praying to Him, that I'm following Him. Lifestyle worship. Listen to what the psalmist says. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. What I want you to see out of that passage is this. Those who make them will be like them, and those who trust in them. In other words, you become like what you worship. That's why God wants to take sinners and turn them into worshipers. Because as we are worshipers here together corporately as the family and individually in our lifestyle, what we're becoming is more and more like Christ. And that's the job. That's what we're here to be doing, becoming more and more like Him. You become like what you worship. Passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ engage in God-exalting worship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for that promise. We thank You that that is true. And we thank You that as we engage in the many forms of worship, recalling all that we are meant to be, little by little, we're turning ourselves more like Christ. You do that work. We don't do that. You accomplish that within us. It's not our accomplishment, but we allow that to take place by saying yes to worship. Lord, we love you. Continue that work within us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to remind you that always we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They will wait for you to slip forward. Maybe there's an issue in your life, a decision you're making, or a struggle you're experiencing. They would be happy to pray with and for you. But before we do that, let's all stand together for a closing prayer. And before we pray the closing prayer, we'll sing a song. I think you know this one. It's fairly recent, but uh, it's just part of a, a larger song. It goes like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I worship Your holy name. Once again, together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Lord, we pray that, in a sense, our soul sings through this next week. Songs of worship and praise, giving you glory in everything that we do and say, may we be able to point to you as the source of all that we have. Thank you, Lord. Dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to serve you well in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.